We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. And, as like I always like to say, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me, and I'm glad everyone's enjoying the show, and I just appreciate all the great feedback. So please, please, please keep it up. Now, on to my guest for today, Swire Ho, co-founder of Garuda Promo and Branding Solutions, a promotional merchandise company. With a name that many people don't remember, Swire calls himself the promo guy. He and his wife had another business they sold in order to open the one they have now, which focuses on providing branded merchandise. When COVID hit, Swire worried about what would happen. But he did as many others do. He pivoted. First, he started sourcing face masks and then started selling the idea of drop shipping kits for virtual events. The idea came from watching his kids in virtual school, where they were given breaks to do activities and play games. As the director of sales and marketing, Swire credits his love of talking to others for his success. He has realized that connecting with the gatekeepers in companies, such as secretaries and assistants, have been the secret to his networking success. He makes himself available, asks them what they need, and follows up to make sure they are happy with his service. Now, let's get better together. Swire Ho, welcome to the podcast. Jerry, thanks for having me on the show. Well, you know what? Thanks for being on. And uh, you know what's really great about what you do over at Gar- Garuda <laughs> promo and branding. I probably messed that up, but you'll you'll correct me. Uh, is that you know you guys do things for people to give away and you know have uh, an experience with a brand, and of course that that means it's real stuff like mm-hmm. things that you can hold. And I cannot wait to talk to you about how COVID <laughs> affected your business. Um, 
But before we do that, why don't you let me know and our listeners know how you got to do what you're doing today? Okay. Uh, so my name is Swire. Uh, I also made the hashtag for myself called the promo guy because over the year in business, you know, because I'll, I have a kind of unusual name, people will call, uh, can I talk to you? And then they pause. So it, I, I, I will remind them. And, but I think with the, um, the hashtag, the promo guy is more catchy. It's kind of related to what I do and people remember it. So as it, the name sets it, uh, I'm in the promotional product business. So think about branded merchandise. And in before the pandemic, uh, company who want to impress their potential client will come to us. We also help client to build a customer retention program. And the ultimate goal, how we separate ourselves uh, than our competitors is we want to make the client's client to be become a mini advocate for the brand. So something that related to them, so then they really buy with the brand. You know, I, I'm sure that we all have brand and company that we really believe in. And whatever they say and do, we follow and we tell everyone about that. So that's our ultimate goal. Oh, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I always think that the best marketing spend is on converting a customer to an advocate. I, I just the, the the ROI is so huge on that, and the long term value and all. I mean, every goodness metric you can think of is just better. I mean, it beats digital ads, it beats advertising, hands down. Like not even in the same ballpark. And part of that, obviously, is making people feel special. Which uh, you know, when I've done events in the past through JSY, you know, PR and marketing, we've always had these swag bags, <laughs> you know, like, oh, stuff for the, from the brand. And I personally am not a fan of these things. Just, I think it's because I'm the one that had to like put them together because <laughs> Jane would be like my late wife. She'd be like, oh, oh yeah, you put, put these bags together. I'm like, oh, not another 200 bags of things I got to put stuff uh -huh. in. But my feelings aside, I have noticed that People really love this stuff. And so you, you mentioned that before COVID, I mean, there's all these events. And of course, people are giving away stuff, at pretty much mass gatherings. How has the business changed since COVID? I'm assuming it's changed su substantially. Mm, so take you back to March uh, 2020. So, you know, that's when we have to shut down right here in California. So normally, like you said, we do a lot of events, mass gathering, luncheons, uh, so a lot of people. In March, uh, they all cancel, all postpone. So at first, we were scared, you know, as a company, you know, all this client are, are canceling jobs and not happening. But we do notice that, you know, from we get newsletter from our supplier, you know, from manufacturer that we work with. We saw an influx of email saying that, you know, we have mass available. So we decided, you know, since we're not doing others, can we look into that? So we were lucky enough uh, in April, we had the best month uh, ever in wow. our business because we kind of positioned ourselves like two weeks prior to everyone hop on to the, the face mask and we uh, make sure that they're sourced from reliable uh, supplier, wow. which is yeah. what we can normally do with, uh, you know, figuring out who uh, will be a supplier, make sure that uh, all the specs are legitimate. Because at that time, a lot of confusion and people buying mm. things that aren't supposed to, and then they are not, you know, uh, normally making those things. So, but then moving on, you know, people are starting having Zoom meetings, right? You know, people still have their product launch. They still need to connect with people. But mm -hmm. then you and I probably been to Zoom meetings uh, when 20 minutes in, you know, we get fatigue, we get tired. Yeah. And now our email notification pop on or our Facebook is blinking us, then we, you start people start tuning out. So uh, client, uh, when I talk to them, they say, no, we're not getting the type of engagement that we normally would when we have them at a trade show, then we really talk to them and they're focused right in our uh, product and services. So we work with them, we came up with uh, some of the idea for sending the dropship kits. For example, if you, let's say you have attendees for 50 to 100 people, the idea is once you have the content information, you send them a kit that is related to uh, your offerings or maybe your presentation. So it could be branded or it could be just um, a little trial or experience for the actual experience. So now they send it to them. Uh, and then when they have the meeting, they can actually take breaks 
and have people do some games, do some activities related to the presentation. And then once they have the little break, I actually learned that from my kids uh, attending virtual school. That's what the teacher does, and it works, right? And then after your break, then people are more focusing on the presentation. So I think that's one of the pivoting uh, things I'm seeing moving forward. Yeah, no, I mean that's such a good wow. I, you know, that's actually a really good thought because um, I know I have friends in the nonprofit world, right? And of course, I'm sure you have a lot of nonprofits that are clients because they always have these cool bags of stuff. And I remember they were going to have their annual gala, which, if anyone knows what these are, every nonprofit has this annual gala to raise a mm-hmm. bunch of money, right? And they couldn't do it. They usually have them in May. Gala gala season is like May, June, and July because <laughs> you sort of want to get in before kids go back to school and you don't really want to do it like in August or whatever. Um, and they're struggling. How are we going to get these people engaged? Uh, and what they ended up doing was they sent them food, gourmet food and wine. Mm, had them nice. delivered lo- locally, right? Mm-hmm. And they had a swag bag too. Like, hey, here's your little thing. And I just think that's such an interesting idea. Do, do you think that that's just going to continue on even after we go back to quote unquote normalcy? Because I think a lot of people have realized that if they can get the engagement up, they can probably one, have more virtual events that are more economical, but also um, maybe people won't be as comfortable anymore. So what do you think about that? Yeah, that's the same question that I've asked to our event planning uh, you know, clients. So uh, they all said it will be a hybrid they call it, you know, you, some people are comfortable in person, or maybe you have a smaller focus group, you know, maybe social distancing, but then virtual meeting, if you know, it depends on the nonprofit, since we, we spoke about nonprofit, there are nonprofits, that are more uh, willing to embrace technology. There are ones that no, we got to do an in-person event, you know, this is our mission. And so you can see how they perform, you know, for example, if you do a virtual event, now not Let's assume that they're based here in the United States. You can actually have virtual events around the world. Any supporter of your organization can actually hop on to Zoom or other digital platform that you have and see the same message. Maybe your message here, uh, you have grown your demographics, but the world is really big. So if you your message can resonate with people around the world, you can actually gain your supporter. Now with us being more comfortable in, in front of a webcam. And we all probably know how to hop on Zoom. But for uh, the traditional way, there are still, and myself included, that really want that human interaction. So I think the key to success for uh, these type of group that relied on in-person meeting, you can't do the same old, same old meetings anymore. You got to rebrand and rethink your strategy. So if you're doing the same thing, people might not attend. But if you're doing things in person or virtually, differently. And I think for you and I, we know that we need to focus on our target audience. So who are you, you're really your target audience before you can afford to people have walked in, maybe they see your presentation and be connected to it. But now you, it's it's a time that you got to be really more focused about who you're reaching out to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think this is just going to really put in clear focus what you exactly said, who are the people that you're actually trying to reach? You can't do the spray and pray thing anymore. I mean, you never really could, although some people would just throw money at it and, you know, widen the, you know, widen the net, so to speak. But no, I think people are going to be very selective on where they go and what they do. And this hybrid approach, I think is spot on because like, there's some things where you may want to only go to like one talk And you're like, I don't want to fly all the way to wherever just to kind of attend this one thing, or I can't attend because of other commitments, but I still want the materials. And, you know, having this hybrid approach, I think, um, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And then, and I think that's really cool. And I I hope, I hope that that helps your business (laughs) that maybe more people will send boxes of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. We, we have to pay attention because it's changing if you're not catch up on it. So you might get left behind. You know, one example that I want to point out of a hybrid uh, event, uh, it's my daughter uh, listened to a K-pop group called uh, Blackpink. So their K-pop group, you know, she wants to go to a physical concert, but obviously it's not available during COVID. And what's so smart about them 
are they actually uh, invite people to join a uh, YouTube membership, which cost me $30 a month. And then they're going to have a concert on YouTube. So actually uh, about 300,000 people bought that membership wow. for $30 each. Wow. And the show is kind of pre-recorded, some live, right? Wow. But then they like it, right? They're engaged. So even for musicians and groups like that, they're all the way in Korea. They're yeah. able to do 300,000 300, people, $30 each around the world. And you could they, they're reaching a worldwide audience without booking the show, you know, getting all the AVs up, traveling. And then I, I think, you know, their cash flow on that is pretty high. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can't be as much as doing a world tour. I mean, it just can't. But but what's interesting is that having those options, I mean, I think you could even build your audience even more mm -hmm. so that when you do go to a live show, it's like set up, like you're going to get more out of it. Because, I mean, I went to a, I went to a, Christ, a virtual Christmas party, <laughs> which... Okay was like the weirdest thing. Right. And we're all sitting on zoom and we're, you know, like, okay, we're trying. Right. And then there was a, a magician that did some magic, which is a big thing, like magicians doing virtually. And then there was someone playing music, like live stream of music. It was on YouTube. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it was just like background music. She's playing and Hey, tell me what you want to play. And even though we all were not like in the same room, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be because I'm like, ah, oh, virtual event. This is, I am so Zoom fatigued. I cannot handle yet another like, ah, oh, this is, you know, even though I'm, you know, a highly functional introvert, I don't really like going to events as much as, you know, some people, but still I'm getting sick of it. <laughs> That's saying something. So I hope uh, I hope it'll turn on back on soon. But um, but so switching gears a little bit, uh, you work with your wife on your business. How, I do. How's how's that? Um, it's been seventeen years, and we uh, had you know built and sold a previous business already. So this is our second time around, and we're still uh, business partner. So we kind of work out to a, uh, an agreement that, you know, I normally do sales and marketing and I go, I like go and talk to people and she hands those a vendor relationship and she helped with the sourcing. Uh, she has an IT background. So, you know, a lot of a website uh, and we get good enough that we know a lot about our printing uh, from our previous business. So, uh, and with the world that we we're in right now, we have, you know, uh, independent contractor that sometimes we work with. But I think it's good and bad, you know, right? Sometimes when you wake up, then no saying hi, and I'll check in with, you know, when that UPS shipment is coming in, or, you know, you got to follow up with this client today and make sure that, you know, they, they, they do, they give you what we're looking for. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I worked with my late wife, Jane, like that's the business I run now. And it's a different, it's, it's tough because I remember we would always be on, I mean, you know, like when you, when you, when your business partner is also your life partner, it's sort of sometimes hard to shut off that business side. Um, and other people I've talked to about this as well. Um, they have to find that fine line, right. Between how do we, you know, not let the business can consume you. So are, are there any kind of, tips, tricks that you've kind of found over these last 17 years that kind of make it a little easier to sort of shut off the business side and like go back to the personal side and vice versa? Well, first of all, we work in the same office and she's sitting right next to me. So I got to <laughs> say the right thing. Right? <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, you know, you got to figure out kind of like when you have employees, but then you have to be more uh, mindful, right? You know, because, you know, employees, uh, you don't see them 
at night, but then, you know, if you're a spouse, then you'll be, you know, obviously interacting with your daily life and you go on, you know, family trips. So we kind of uh, identify where we work. So we have a dedicated space to work. And then after we work, then we don't really talk about the business unless we have to. If there's a deadline and, you know, we have vendors that are overseas. So sometimes we do have to hop on at night on our time uh, to talk to them. So, uh, but we try to balance work and, you know, our personal life separately. So I think the more that you're able to do that, you know, I think you don't drive yourself and both both of you are crazy. <laughs> yeah, we, we, you know, Jane and I tried to do that. Uh, there were times where it got a little testy. Just just because I think, you know, when you're an entrepreneurial and, and everyone that's an entrepreneur sort of has the same feeling, you know, it's really a lifestyle you're 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 leading. I mean, you you're doing this because you love it. You happen to like get lucky and find someone that has the same attitude, the same like goals, like, oh wow, like you're into this too. And we happen to be life partners together as well. And that's really like that's great. And then, but then you get in the trap and occasionally we would get in the trap where we'd be working all day, all night and not have any kind of downtime. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. Like trying to, trying to separate that all out can be a big challenge. And and I think that's the one thing that's, um, that was the challenge that we had. And, and also depending on each person's attitude about money and spending money and stuff. <laughs> we had a little bit of tension around mm-hmm. that too, where it's just like, why are you spending it on this? And I'm all, uh, cause we have to, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, I think with any, like you mentioned it, it with any employee co-founder business partner, you know, those boundaries have to be set. Um, and it just so happens that it can be a little harder to set those boundaries with a spouse. Um, but I think it's a very healthy thing to have those conversations. And, um, it's just fascinating to me because I I knew I've, I've interviewed a couple other people that have like, oh yeah, I work with my spouse and I'm all, oh, like, and some of them are like tech startups, like, you know, one's the salesperson, the other one's the techie. And then, you know, it's, and, and you're like, how does this all kind of come together? And they have, of course they have kids and, you know, are, are, how, how, do, how do your kids handle all this, um, you know, w- you know, business stuff? I mean, are they kind of aspirational? Well, they, they make fun of me. So, you, know, <laughs> you, talk, you talk so long, you always go on and you just talk. And, you know, where did you come up with all the things to say? I said, no, I just, you know, they, they're asking me a question. I'm just answering it the way that I, you know, my comes to mind. And, you know, I, I have a, you know, certain key phrase that, you know, obviously I will refer to in the business, but then it, I said, it's just, you're talking to another human being, which kids nowadays, they don't talk on the phone anymore. I think what they need is the communication skills. So mm. like my goal is to have them try to talk to other individual and, you know, both of them are in, in scouts. So mm. I, almost need to push them out to talk to other people and mm. uh, ask, know how to ask questions, right? Mm. Know how to answer questions. So these are the skills that you got to learn because if, even if you're the smartest kids and if you don't know how to communicate, then you're not taking your full potential. So I think, you know, for me being on podcasts and I, and I sometimes show them, you know, I'm on this podcast and, you know, sometimes they listen to it, sometimes they don't care. Uh, <laughs> but I think... Uh, you know, showing them that, you know, how we act as an adult and how doing our business, there are certain limits that we do. So certain ethics that we stand for. So if it go past that point, uh, we don't do that. So obviously there might be money to be made on there, but, you know, we try to show them it's not all about money. It's building the relationship. And I always go out networking and talk to other people and try to help them. So hopefully at some point they'll, you know, figure it out and, you know, to learn some from it, not all of them, but some of them. What, what, what are their names? Uh, Marcus and Madeline. Okay. So Marcus and Madeline, if you're listening to this, um, <laughs> your dad's a hundred percent, right. This is coming from a communications and PR professional. Uh, it's very important to be able to talk clear, concise, and compellingly with other folks, other people, 
get at ease with that and the world will open up to you. <laughs> so because I, I, I mentioned, you know, like they like now every kid's like uh, Elon Musk, right? I yeah. Him, yeah. Elon Musk is not the best engineer and nor no. he's the best uh, anything in the Tesla or SpaceX, but then he knows how to talk and he's a great presenter and he knows how yeah. to make people work for him more than they would have. Normally, <laughs> and he know how to push them. He he pushed people really hard. Yeah, but then yeah, yeah. Now he's you know on certain things he's crazy too, right? He's yeah, yeah. Well, he's not even that great a speaker, honestly. If you listen to him, but the thing about Elon Musk that he's got this cult of personality around him that every entrepreneur can learn from, right? When you talk to him and listen to him talk, he has got this really great way of this is what my vision is, right? Like. I think this is the next big thing. And like, he'll even admit, you know, Tesla, like, why would you in your wildest, craziest idea, start an electric car company? It's like the dumbest idea ever. But there's always the big but, right? He realized, oh, well, if if this goes, this is going to be the biggest thing in the world. And mm-hmm. then look at all everything else he's doing. So it, it it's it's interesting because a lot of times, when I, when I mentor young entrepreneurs, um, you know, they're always looking after like, oh, fame, fortune, prestige, the money and all that sort of stuff. And I love what you said about <laughs> relationships, right? The most important thing that you can foster is relationships with other people, be useful, be helpful, because all that stuff comes back around to you. And, and if you're in it for being useful and helpful as, as opposed to being like a matcher or a taker, um, Long term, you're going to be better off because people like to interact with those that they feel are helpful. So, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Well, and jumping into marketing real yeah. quick, yeah. Tesla doesn't spend any ads at all. No, so you don't zero. see them in billboards. <laughs> you don't see them in uh, the news. And uh, when I read uh, Motor Trend magazines, uh, they don't even loan out the car when they do the test drive. You, they have to somehow find it from an owner to use it. Normally, car manufacturer will send them the car, like the, the best model for them to write on the car. Tesla doesn't do that. But then they still have a lot of diehard fans and a lot of people talk to them without being paid. They just oh. like to talk about them. Oh, yeah. And he, Elon Musk know how to create memes, right? When he have the cyber truck and he broke the glass. <laughs> you know, people make fun of him. They make memes for him that he play along and not a lot of entrepreneur can do that. No, no. I mean, I love that the cyber truck, that video where there's the, I think it was the, like the engineer, the project managers right by the thing. And Elon's like, yeah, well just bang on it. And he's like, really? <laughs> we haven't tested this. Like, hey, whatever, try it. And then it cracked. And he's like, huh? Oh, well, I guess we got to fix that. That was it. And, mm-hmm. and that's like beautiful because, because look at the failure, like the quote unquote failure there. Like he owned it. I mean, the same thing with when the rocket, when his SpaceX rockets blow up. I mean, they don't say they blow they blow up. They say something like they uh, rapidly disassembled or some crazy mm-hmm. word where you're like, oh, and they own it. It's like, yeah, okay. It doesn't even matter how many of them blow, uh, blown up. Over time, they just, they work, they get better, they get better. And every single setback and failure is just yet another, you know, thing that he builds on the narrative. I mean, look at all the companies he has. He's got the boring companies, SpaceX, Tesla. He's got the the satellite one for internet. I mean, the guy's got, he's like a modern, I don't know, industrialist slash JP Morgan slash whatever, right? But mm-hmm. it's so fascinating, like what you said. He just tells a great story. And yeah, Tesla spends zero on ads and marketing and advertising. It's all word of mouth. And to your point about building advocacy and loyalty. Yeah, they're, they're doing the exact way. Yeah, Exact way that I would do it if I could. <laughs> exact way you, I'm sure you tell your clients because look at the loyalty there. Look at the, it, it, it's, it's the ultimate in, in, in making a brand not only stronger, more aware, but also growing, growing your sales. I mean, just, it's, it's fascinating. So how how do you convince like a new client that, 
you know, building advocacy with what you do and your, you know, your promotional materials, how do you get them? What, what sort of the process you take them through? Well, first, we have to back up a little bit. Normally, they have experience already uh, with buying, let's say, for example, Google Ads or Facebook uh Boost, right. So with those, then you really focus. You have to find the keywords and you have to find the demographics, maybe income, whatever level that criteria that you choose from. But when they come to us with promotional product, they said, we just want to buy a pen for everyone. So then my feeling and I try to explain to them is you would be really focused on uh, Google AdWords and Facebook, uh, you know, boost. Then why don't you be the same focus that you have with your target audience in promotional product? What do you mean? I'm just buying a pen. You know, I want everyone to have my pen. But what I'm saying is with the advocates, you have to know who they are. Not everyone will be the advocates for your company. Uh, what are your company message? Are you luxury? Are you eco-friendly? Or are you, uh, you know, integrity, family? Tell me more. You know, the right type of client is they are willing to share with me what they're trying to do, what their message are. For example, if you are a luxury uh, client, then you you cannot buy, you cannot afford to buy, you know, things that people are not not going to want because your client expect luxury. Doesn't mean that you have to buy an expensive product, but then the image that they perceive it has to be luxury. Or if you're an eco-friendly type company, don't buy stuff from me that with is wrapped in five different type of plastic, and then we have to bubble wrap and then styrofoam wrap onto it so that goes again, what you stand for. You got to look for something along those lines. Uh, I tell them I have 5,000 different items that we have available. Uh, but the more that you can tell me who your ideal clients are, the better we can find something that is right for them. The goal is to be, you know, let me tell you an example. You know, I, I've been to, I'm also a runner myself. I've been to a, a marathon expo the day before uh, the run. So there's a booth and they said that it's a, like an obstacle race. So they said, if you can do 10 pull-ups here right now, then we give you this tiny little bottle that we have. It's not about the bottle and people are lining up, you know, really long trying to do 10 pull-ups. Some can do it, some cannot. But then what happened after they're able to get that bottle? It's like, doesn't cost anything to do. They are taking pictures of them with the bottle in front of the booth to that social media post. Yeah. What that means, the bottle is not really the focus. The it's the experience. So now you're getting runners who are engaged to take pictures and post it and tag you on the social media. And you're paying just the cost of the bottle and the thinking go behind that. So I would encourage company to think about not just the item itself, but how you can build a campaign and experience with that particular product. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. This whole idea of experiences is something that I learned the hard way or then the hard way is probably the wrong word, but Jane would teach me this a lot, like how we would do an event, which again, when you have to run events and throw events, you don't really like events. <laughs> They're awful because it's like, ah, there's every, everything goes wrong. Right. But, but the, what, what is, what's interesting is that you learn a lot about what you just said about experience and what people in different tiers of experience want to um, like feel, you know, we would do events where there would be a VIP section. Right. Mm -hmm. And never thought that I'd ever be like, yeah, I want to be in the VIP section. But nowadays I'm like, you know, I'll pay a little extra to have that concierge VIP experience because I don't want to be with the masses. Right. And you're right. You got to find those people almost that want that experience that want to advocate for your brand and, and, and rewarding them is really, really, I think important because people really appreciate that. I would, I remember, you know, those, again, getting back to those gift bags. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've stuffed a lot of gift bags in my day. And again, I don't like them, but boy, I've never seen people so excited about a canvas bag filled with whatever, you know, it's like, really? But again, like, you got to know, like what you said, who, who, are, who are you trying to impress? Who, who are you trying to attract? Who, who are your ideal advocates? And I think it's not just ideal customer. I think it's those people that are also going to promote your brand because those, I th those people I think should be rewarded with some, something, something of a different kind of style. And yeah, some, something I would, I would suggest is, you know, 
as an entrepreneur, you know, running a small business, sometimes we're afraid and we are constantly kind of judging ourselves. Am I charging too much or am I finding the right client? For example, in marketing, you know, there are people who complain and will walk away if you tell them your service costs $500, right? So there are people out there that are like that. But then there are companies that, you know, spend over $5 million a month in marketing. So it's just maybe you're not connecting to the right client. Maybe with the product and services that you offer, you are better off targeting people in the different areas than you are right now. If you are struggle to, you know, find people that are related to your market, that could mean that you are targeting to the wrong people. So maybe you got to review and change your approach because there are a lot of people that cannot pay 500. There are obviously more companies that can pay over $5 million a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and I think this is a really actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I get this question all the time with freelance entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, basically consultants that like charge money for their time, right? And the question I always get asked is, okay, so what should my price be? Like, what's my number? Like, you know, and what's really fascinating about this is this is a very emotional thing. And the reason it's a very emotional thing is because you're asking someone to pay you. And if you've never had to do that before, you really don't know your worth and you feel bad if someone says no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you, I mean, you, you're in sales, like you hear no all the time, right? Like, you know, I'm in PR market. I hear no all the time. But it's a hard mindset to get across uh, or get through. And, and partly is because most people underestimate what their time is worth. Uh, or in the negotiation process, they take less than what they're worth. And then they feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. And I think when you, when you, when, what you mentioned about finding the customers that will pay you what you're worth is the magic thing of all of this, right? That is if you can find those people, just hang on to them and you'll be able to sell them things forever because they're bought in, right? And um, I learned I learned a really good rule from this guy named Tim Grawl, who's part of StoryGrid, and he's done a bunch of book marketing. He's like the book launch guy. He's really, really good at launching books. And I remember he, he was telling a bunch of these new kind of editors that were building their own small little freelancing business. He said, there's only two prices. There's free and full and nothing else. And I never understood the power of that until, you know, Jane died and I had to actually go out and get more business because it really is true. Like you're worth something and you shouldn't get paid less than what you're worth. And I think when it comes, you can do the corollary when it comes to to customers and advocates and when you want to spend on, you know, attracting people to your point, there will be people that will pay for it. Your job, the hard job, is to find them. Um, and so, for your business, how do you get how do you get new customers? How, how how do people find out about you? Well, I like networking, and you know, I really do practice what I preach. Is you know, we find out what our buyer persona are. You know, there are different profiles that we have, but I feel that you know, I like to go networking. So, like normally, a salesperson would like to go to the highest level, right? To go to CEO or the president level. Uh, that makes the final decision. But then I find out that in our case, even if I am able to connect with the decision maker, uh, the person who ordered from us are normally the gatekeeper and secretaries, always. Even for a big company, a small company, it's all coming from the gatekeepers and secretaries. And there are a lot of audio and podcasts that teach you how to get past the gatekeeper, right? I'm sure that you read articles about that. But for me, I hang out and talk to the gatekeeper. Because I want to be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. I want to be their resource. So whenever the boss or you know their su- supervisor asks them to do a thing, I'm the first one they call. Yeah. So normally uh, for a big company, you know, it will be usually around four to five PM. And then they will send me a panic email. You know, our boss <laughs> is trying to do an event or trying to do something <laughs> by next week. I need that, get it done. Uh, can you do it? Then I work on it. I tell them. Uh, these are the people that I will go extra mile uh, because I know they're my perfect client and I'll go 
you know, that's how the communication come in. Some of them like to text. Some of them like to do uh, Facebook direct message and LinkedIn. I'll accommodate them. And I make sure that we do everything that we can to help solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes uh, on one of our biggest clients, we start working with one secretary, you know, uh, helping her superior to do a job. Now we work with about 30 of the secretaries, you know, helping the bosses. So I think, think about that in a sales perspective. Now you're not trying to, you know, talk yourself, smooth yourself, go past the gatekeeper. I'm hanging out at the gate and I'm talking to all of them. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. So there's the decision maker and the gatekeeper and you, and you need to know like, who the one who those are, but two, the decision maker can delegate to the gatekeeper to do what they need to do. Because and, the gatekeepers are the ones that make the schedule. And yeah. obviously, if you talk about C- CEO, doesn't know the promotional product, the assistant right. does. Right. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, it's nice to know who the CEO or decision makers are, but then you got to be friends with the assistant. Sometimes we try to power our way through the assistant and we don't leave a good impression. And that's, mm. you wonder why you mm. don't get a callback and you don't get yeah. the same client because you might offend the gatekeeper along the way. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. I know when I used to be in corporate America, <laughs> um, we used to have a rule when we hired people and interviewed people. Um, and it's a common rule. I don't think it's no surprise, but um, we would always ask the receptionist, the secretary, or like the support staff, what they thought of them. Or we would purposely leave the candidate in a room or in a place where they would have to interact. And without fail, if the assistant secretary or support staff said that they were no good, we never hired them. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason is exactly what you said. It's like, oh, you are different around people that are not your peers or your superiors. You like look down on those people that are like critical. Like I, I don't think, well, maybe more people understand now, but it is so critical for the for the operation of any company to have that staff, that support staff. They do the work. The CEO, the VPs, the direct they're not they're not doing any work. They're going to meetings and you know doing PowerPoint. <laughs> it's like their job is PowerPoint and communications. It's not buying the pens for the event. They're not even planning the event. I mean, they're involved. Don't get me wrong. Okay, don't if you're a VP or CEO, don't like send me hate mail, (laughs) but you're right. You're totally right. And I think this is generally the case for every, I mean, treating everyone that you meet with respect and dignity and kindness and how can I help? I mean, that's just, I mean, that's the way I run my life. I just can't do it any other way. I mean, that's just the way I was raised, but a lot of people, you're right. They try to like, Oh, I'm just going to go straight to the CEO. They're the decision maker. And you're like, yeah, well, you know, they, don't, they don't really care of what you, you know, no. for saying, well, you know. I mean, if it's like acquisition of a company, okay. If it's, we're going to buy $4 million worth of software, maybe. Okay, great. Yeah. You're probably right. But who are they going to delegate that to? <laughs> Who's going to like get on the phone and set that up? It's, it's usually it's the manager or the director or the, the chief of staff or the assistant. The I mean, the critical, absolutely critical support staff that make the whole thing run. Like they do, they, it, it, you just imagine a CEO without a staff around them, they wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> and then another follow-up uh, thing would be if you're able to connect, let's say it's, it's a bigger company, right? You're able to wa- work with one department with the assistant or the secretary, you ask for a referral. You know, mm. with my product and services, do you think there are other departments uh, in your organization that would be benefit from it? So we actually assistant talk to other assistant. So oh, that's yeah. how we were able to do that by, you know, we make sure that we do a good job, make sure that they're happy. But along the way, I always ask for a referral to every single client. We, uh, I will check in after every project. I know that they receive it. How did it go? You know, sometimes they will have concern or a suggestion. Um, then I'll fix it if necessary. Mm. But then if they're happy, I know that I will, first of all, ask them to review us on uh, Google and Yelp. Mm. That's how we have good ratings from clients. And then I'll ask for, do you know other people that could benefit from our uh, services? Mm-hmm. And they, not always, you know, sometimes they send a referral. That's how you build up on it because while it's fresh. So maybe 
uh, Susan from the marketing department is seeing what uh, you know the other colleagues are doing, and then it's better when it's fresh. Mm. Whatever that you know product and service that that you do, I think uh, being friendly and communication, and then always ask for that referral is how we were able to stay in business and continue continue to grow. Mm. Yeah, actually, that applies to digital as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's something universal about that. What what you just said can be implemented in a, in a digital way as well. Even with products and services, it may be virtual. I mean, you know, think about. I always think about like some of the best products that I use on a daily basis. Like, let's just take Zoom for example. Since we're on Zoom, <laughs> and Zoom's got its challenges and problems and blah 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 blah, right? Um, but we're all on Zoom, or or and. Why are we all on Zoom? Well, because people, if they needed this service, they said, oh, well, you just got to try Zoom. It's free and easy. Like that's the that's a referral, right? Quote, unquote. Same thing for maybe more complicated tools. Like I use this tool called Canva. I don't know if you know what Canva is. Mm-hmm. Um, or a, design uh, graphics. Yeah, graphic design, right? So instead of having to pay a graphic designer to do simple, simple things, I literally get on Canva and make it myself. And in fact, the images for the show notes, the, the you know what you sent me, like I have everyone send me a, a headshot and a logo. I I create that myself on Canva, and you know what? It's the best tool in the world for this. It's so easy. And everyone I talk to when they say, "Hey, man, I really like your show notes. I really like that image." I go, "Yeah, I make it on Canva. Canva's awesome. You got to get Canva." Really? Oh yeah, Canva. I love Canva. Love, love, love Canva. Just like I love other tools, right? And that's what we're talking about. And 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 it, and it applies to both physical products and services as well as digital products and services. And so exactly what you said, man. I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, I did a good job for someone, or I figured out what I can do better. I fixed that, and then I asked them, Hey, do you know anyone that could benefit from my services? I would appreciate it. That is the best kind of marketing in the world. Well, you would think, but sometimes people tell me they're too busy. I said, you can't, <laughs> please. You know, you could send an email. I have a template that I sent. You know, I have a template. <laughs> well, Type okay, template you're right. You're right. And you a template. Get over that. You got to get over that. But when you do get over that, <laughs> that's good, right? Well, there's actually a new term that we've been experiencing and have good results. Uh, it, it's it, we call calendar marketing. So that's one of it. So with Zoom, I we were actually able to reach out to client all the way to Australia and Argentina, which normally we wouldn't, because mm-hmm. now we have Zoom, like you mentioned. Uh, there are so easy for me to schedule for a meeting, uh, and then share my calendar. Right, like how I schedule with you with the recording, and we both hop on and we communicate. So now I could be the same because everyone now is still working remotely. So mm-hmm. I'll be the same as it would be another promotional product company down the road, mm-hmm. right? So now I'm able to uh, connect with clients that are outside of the country. So I'm yeah. not able to help them. So I would encourage the listener to think bigger with Zoom, mm-hmm. with how comfortable that we are with uh, video conferencing, uh, go further than you normally would. Yeah. No, you're, that's a good point. That's a good point. Because see, traditionally, like before the COVID times, you know, if you were in B2B sales or even B2C, but mostly like B2B, right? You'd go to a trade show, you'd get a stack of cards, you'd scan everything, and then you'd follow up and you'd have this infinite loop of follow-up, right? <laughs> like I've got this stack of business cards. It's like, uh, and then you'd get some hits and you wouldn't get some hits. But what 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 you mentioned about that face-to-face, that conversation, that, you know, hey, I'm I'm Jari, this is what I do. Um there is something magical about being able to see someone and talk. I mean, you know, I only release the audio of, of this podcast, but you and I both can see each other on, mm-hmm. on Zoom <laughs> so that, you know, we can see each other's reactions and and kind of play off that. And without that feedback, um, sometimes it's hard to see, you know, the signs, but, but I do, I do like that idea because it is, 
I think, yeah, I mean, when we do get back to kind of normalcy and people start traveling again and doing that, I do agree with you that there'll be these hybrid types of things where, you know, you'll want, you'll get on a zoom call or you'll get on a WebEx call or you'll get on some sort of video chat and kind of do a little more business that way. And I think you're right. It's, you can't get away. I think this is my point. You can't get away from the personal interaction. I don't think any amount of digital marketing fanciness and automation tools are going to really circumvent, I guess. I think it's also psychology. For example, Mm. think about if you're an assistant or if you are uh, being assigned to find certain things, whatever that might be. So you keep finding, you go on the big uh, Google and you go to Facebook or whatever that your sources are until you're able to commit on something, you be keep looking. But then my my goal is to schedule with that meeting with them so they know that now they're talking to the promo guy. I have a schedule mm. with him. I'm going to see him, mm. right? So I will put up my search until I talk to this guy, see if he can help yeah. me. Yeah. So you're actually yeah. stopping people from searching because they commit at least to have that meeting with you face-to-face. So I think not only that big company can benefit from that, I could even say more locally, if you're a local plumber, you know, if I, you know, stuff coming out from my toilet, I need a plumber. I'll keep calling until someone schedule with me, right? Then I'll stop. You know, think about it. It's very simple. It's this uh, human psychology. You know, a, a plumber can actually share the calendar, you know, do uh, the Zoom meeting on, on the phone. They can know right away, oh, this is going to cost you $500 or this we can fix in an hour. So yeah. how quick is that? You know, instead of chasing down and hiring, you know, three people just to do the scheduling with technology, you can have people look the available schedule that you have scheduled for that meeting. You can offer to be hop on a Zoom meeting with them. And then you kind of have people into the funnel, like how people always say, that's how you're able to bring more people into your funnel by making a small commitment. And then you build on, on top of that. Wow. Well, that's a great, uh, I think that's a great place to end. So Swire, appreciate your time, man. Good luck with everything and uh, wish you all the success. I, I really like how you pivoted during this and I love the enthusiasm. So thank you so, much, you so much for sharing, sharing your, your, uh, your journey. Thank appreciate you. It. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.